The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 17, of the Perseverance of the Saints, Paragraphs 1 to 3. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end, and be eternally saved. Paragraph 2. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the degree of election, flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth also the certainty and infallibility thereof. Paragraph 3. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Over the years I have been on more Christian panels than I care to count. The format is always the same. Individuals like myself are brought in, there are usually two or three of us on the panel, and questions are put to us from interested parties. Some questions are unique, some you've never been asked before, but there tend to always be the same ones that come up time and time again. Can a Christian drink alcohol? Is it suitable for a Christian to go to nightclubs? Can a Christian date a non-Christian? And also, can a Christian lose his or her salvation? It is this last question that today we will address, because chapter 17 of the Westminster Confession deals with the perseverance of the saints. And if you wanted a really short episode of the podcast today, can a Christian lose his or her salvation? Well, the answer is no. Those who are truly saved will indeed persevere to the end. If you were ever minded to memorize certain sections of the Westminster Confession, then I believe chapter 17 and paragraph 1 is worth memorizing. There's no doubt that for many of us in our Christian life, there will be times where we will sincerely question if we have been saved or not. 
The reasons for that are many, and we will deal with some of them here today. But if we are ever in that place where we wonder and question if we will ever see glory, if we are truly loved, if we are truly saved, then recalling to mind paragraph 1 is a great help. The Westminster Divines tell us that they whom God has accepted in his beloved, that is Christ, who he is effectually called and sanctified by the Holy Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere in that state to the very end and be eternally saved. Here, my brothers and sisters, is the answer to our doubts. Here is a statement of confidence in our great and almighty God, who will absolutely bring us to the finishing line. And how could it be any different? The divines tell us that those of us who are in Christ have been accepted by God in his beloved. He has effectually called us to salvation, and we've spent time already in this podcast considering how that can be. We are sanctified and are being sanctified each day by the Holy Spirit. And if all of this is true, then how could we ever fall away from that state of grace? Indeed, Paul in Philippians 1 and 6 leaves no room for it. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is God who has begun this good work in us. And please, my brothers and sisters, remember that we are justified. Justification is God declaring that we are righteous in his sight. And if God has declared us righteous in his sight, how could our God ever remove that declaration? The answer is he cannot. He is immutable. He is unchanging. And what God has declared will surely come to pass. So the Lord has declared us righteous. He has begun this good work in us, and he will certainly complete it at the day of Jesus. And indeed, the Lord Jesus in John's Gospel in chapter 10, verses 28 to 29, gives us even more reason for confidence. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Here, the Lord Jesus is absolutely clear. We see again what we call the covenant of redemption. The Father gives a people to the Son. The Son lays down his life for them at Calvary, and the Holy Spirit calls them and renews them and produces fruit in them. The covenant of redemption is between the three persons of the Godhead, and Jesus gives word to it here. He says that the Father has given them to the Son. The Son gives them eternal life. They will never perish, says Jesus. And because there is no one greater than God, how could anyone snatch us out of the Father's hand? No, my brothers and sisters. It is as Peter writes in his first letter in chapter 1 and verse 5 and 9. We, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 9, we will obtain the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. So if you are a weak and weary Christian today, if you are full of doubts and wondering about the quality of your repentance, about if you did this whole Christianity business right, if you will stand before a holy God at the day of Christ, then think no more. Today, as surely as Christ has died and has risen again, then all of those who have trusted Christ by faith 
will be saved. We should make one note here, however. There are many who I meet on a regular basis who tell me that they are saved. They are men and women who perhaps at one point of time put their hand up in the air at a mission or signed a little card at a grand event. But there is little to no evidence in their lives that that confession was actually true. Today this paragraph does not say that everyone who has ever told us that they are saved is actually saved. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will actually be saved. But this paragraph speaks to the individual who has bent the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, who has called upon him and has been truly saved and now lives in obedience to him. That obedience, of course, will always be imperfect. But that child of God strives each day by all the means of God's appointment to pick up their cross and to follow Christ. That individual will persevere to the end and will be eternally saved. And I am delighted to say that this perseverance of the saints is all of grace. You may listen to this podcast and think immediately, well, surely if I persevere, it is like me running a marathon. I must keep going, I must battle on, I must get through the wall, I must keep going to the finishing line, I must win this victory. But thankfully paragraph 2 of this chapter tells us that the perseverance of the saints does not depend upon our own free will. If we are going to get to the finishing line, it isn't because we have willed ourselves to cross that line. Instead, the perseverance of the saints depends upon the immutability of the decree of election which flows from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father. God has, in eternity past, decreed that there will be many from sinful humanity who will be saved. We call this the decree of election. We've spent some time in a previous episode of this podcast considering this truth. The decree of election is unchangeable. It is absolutely immutable. If God in eternity past has decreed that you or I will be saved, then how could that decree be overturned in 2020 because you have one bad day of disobedience? It is impossible. The perseverance of the saints does not depend upon your own free will, but upon how unchangeable, how immutable God's decree of election is. It is, as Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, God's firm foundation stands, and it bears this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And not only does the Lord know those who belong to him, who he has set his seal of election upon before the foundation of the earth, but he has loved us with an unchangeable love. It is as he says to his people in Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. The perseverance of the saints depends upon the immutability of the decree of election and upon the unchangeable nature of God's love. He does not have a flower in heaven pulling petals from it declaring, I love you, I love you not, I love you, I love you not. You will persevere to the end because our God's love for us is steadfast and sure. And even after this, if we continue to doubt, the divines continue to speak. Our perseverance is sure because it depends upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ. 
If today you believe that you are struggling and you will certainly not reach the finishing line, then I would remind you that through faith in Jesus, then you are counted as righteous in the sight of God. You could no more fall than Jesus could fall. Today, right now, flesh and blood is at the right hand of God the Father. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, has died and has been raised again to life and today lives to make intercession for us. How could we ever fall away if this is the case? The Westminster Divines remind us of this by quoting from the Scriptures. In Hebrews 10 and verse 10, we are told that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And in verse 14 of the same chapter, For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It is this same Jesus who we read about in Hebrews 9 and verse 12 onwards. Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance." since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus is this one who we read about in the wonderful book of Hebrews. And today, if we have received Jesus by faith, then let us also rest in him. Jesus Christ at Calvary shed his perfect blood. He rose again on the third day, and this sacrifice was perfect. It was once and for all. It needs never be repeated. Those who trust in Christ have their sins forgiven. We are washed clean by this wonderful, precious blood of the Lamb. We rest upon the efficacy of the merit of Christ, and we rest upon the efficacy of his intercession. Today, Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father. Today, he intercedes for us. And in John 17, we see a little glimpse of Jesus and how he prays for us. He says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays to the Father that all who have been given to him will one day be with him and will see his glory. My friends, this prayer of Christ will be answered. And what a joy it is to know that today, even in weakness, even if this is the worst of all days for you as you walk through this life by faith, today Jesus intercedes for you. He prays for you. He is for you. And therefore, as Paul writes in Romans 8 and 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. My friends, who could stand before a holy God bringing a charge against you Jesus also stands there at the right hand making intercession for us. And as Hebrews 7 and 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And as this section continues, we see that the perseverance of the saints is a work of the triune God. 
It depends on the immutability of the decree of election and the free and unchangeable love of the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of the Son, and also of the abiding of the Holy Spirit and of the seed of God within them. If we know Christ as our Saviour, then we have also received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us and works within us to sanctify us, to grow us up in the faith, to lead us in paths of righteousness. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 and verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And in 1 John 2 and 27, The anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And 1 John 3 and 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together in perfect unity, making the perseverance of the saints not a matter for crossing our fingers, but absolutely and certainly knowing that we will persevere to the end. As Reformed believers, we rightly make much of the fact that our God is a God of covenant. He deals with us by way of covenant. In the garden, there was the covenant of works, broken by Adam and later kept fully by Christ. And in Genesis 3, we meet the covenant of grace, summed up by the wonderful phrase where God tells us, I will be your God and you will be my people. The covenant of grace also gives us reason to believe that we will persevere to the very end. If God has made this promise, then he will surely keep it. He has never broken a promise and he never will. It is an everlasting covenant. It is a covenant that has been fulfilled and continues to be fulfilled every time someone calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today it is not a covenant of works where we stay in by our obedience, but it is the covenant of grace because it is all of grace and it is all about Christ. To be partakers of the blessings of the covenant of grace, we receive Jesus by faith. And so if we have entered into this covenant by grace, then we will surely stay in by grace and we will certainly persevere to the end. And from all of this, the work of our triune God and the nature of the covenant of grace arises the certainty and infallibility of our confidence. Jesus has said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And as Paul writes to 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And so as this podcast almost draws to a close, we are sure and certain about the perseverance of the saints. We've already stated that there are some who call Lord, Lord, but were never truly saved. We should not be surprised when we meet these men and women. They tell us that they are Christians, but they have no regard for the church of Jesus Christ. They do not darken the door of their local fellowships. They have no time for the word of God. They spend no time in prayer and they have no love for the brothers. We should not doubt that these men and women have offered a false profession. But paragraph three today speaks to true men and women of faith who at times in their lives will struggle. The Christian will certainly persevere, 
but as paragraph 3 states, Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, and the neglect of their means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins. Or in other words, sometimes the Christian life is not all sweetness and light. There will be days of darkness and days of struggle, and days where even a true believer can fall into grievous sins. The reason for this is outlined as this paragraph begins. Sometimes it is through the temptations of Satan. Sometimes it is through the temptations of the world. Sometimes through the prevalency of corruption that remains in them. Or in other words, we are both at the same time sinful yet justified. And also sometimes it can be by the neglect of the means of grace. And indeed we can fall into grievous sins by a combination of all of these things. The Christian must be aware of all of these traps and be watchful against them. It is as we read in 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. It is our prayer as believers that we will indeed never fall into such grievous sins. But the Westminster divines are realistic when they teach us here in this paragraph that sometimes we will fall into grievous sins. We will never fall completely, but the divines are wise when they teach us that there may be some times in our lives where we do indeed fall into grievous sin. We will continue in it for some time, and we should not be surprised that we incur God's displeasure. The Lord loves us with an everlasting and eternal love, but the Lord is not pleased with our sins. And indeed our sins, as the divines tell us here, will grieve the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, where the apostle warns us, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here is what John Calvin says about the grieving of the Holy Spirit. No language can adequately express this solemn truth, that the Holy Spirit rejoices and is glad on our account when we are obedient to him in all things, and neither think nor speak anything but what is pure and holy. And on the other hand, the Holy Spirit is grieved when we admit anything into our minds that is unworthy of our calling. There can certainly be moments in the Christian life where we fall into grievous sin and we displease God and we grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Westminster Divines teach us that on such occasions we can come to be deprived of some measure of our graces and comforts and have our hearts hardened. We see this in Psalm 51 and verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. There may be some times in our lives where we abandon our first love, and we fall into a grievous sin, and as a result of that we lose the joy of our salvation. We know the depravity of our hearts and we know that the Lord must work in us and renew a right spirit within us. And indeed in such occasions our hearts can be hardened. We sit listening to sermons and we are angry against the preacher. Or our hearts are hard against the things of God and we believe the burden that he places upon us is far too heavy and certainly not worthwhile. We have fallen into grievous sin. And indeed in such times as the Westminster divines tell us, our conscience can be wounded. We can look ourselves in the mirror and believe that we are absolutely rotten to the core, 
that we are unlovable, that we are men and women who do not deserve any of God's grace. We do not think that we will persevere to the end or have ever been truly saved. There are times in our life, my brothers and sisters, where we will go through such rotten days. And we see an example of this in the scriptures in the life of King David. Famously in Second Samuel 11, we know the story. He desires the wife of Uriah, a woman called Bathsheba, and he manipulates the situation to have Uriah killed. He then, in verse 27, marries Bathsheba. We read, When the morning was over, the morning as in the morning for the loss of Uriah, David sent and brought Bathsheba to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Here we see what the Westminster Divines say as hurting and scandalizing others. Sometimes as we fall in the grievous sin, not only does it cause the displeasure of God and the grieving of the Spirit and indeed wound ourselves, but we can hurt and scandalize others. Here the family of Uriah are devastated by his loss and it has all come about through the grievous sin of David. Indeed, David has brought temporal judgment upon himself as in the very next chapter in verse 14, David is told that the child he has with Bathsheba will surely die. My friends, there is comfort today and there is warning in this chapter of the Westminster Confession. We find great comfort in the wonderful truth that we will certainly persevere to the end. But we should also take paragraph 3 absolutely seriously. A true believer can never fall away completely, but sometimes we can fall in the grievous sins. These times of sinning against the Lord incurs his displeasure, wounds ourselves and indeed hurts and scandalizes others. We should be aware of this today and walk closely to Jesus throughout this life. And today if we find ourselves going through a time that is described in paragraph 3, we should also know that our God remains a God of grace. Just as he has called us and laid his love upon us before the foundation of the earth, and just as he will never allow us to fall through his fingers, so he is merciful to his children who have run far from him. Child of God, remember this, and instead of remaining in the hardness of heart, flee unto the Lord, repent of your sin, and you will find him as welcoming to you as the father who welcomed home the prodigal son. Indeed, we remember that the discipline at times we come under is because the Lord disciplines those who he loves. And indeed, we go under this discipline because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And we finish here today, my brothers and sisters, because it is the truth of this paragraph. Through faith in Christ, there is a dramatic change in our lives. We are no longer under the curse and the wrath of God. We are no longer men and women who fear the judgment of Christ. We are no longer men and women who spend our days wondering if we have done enough. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And although sometimes in this life, by our own choice, we think we will walk alone, the Christian will never fall away. We will stand in the judgment and we will sing in the presence of the Lamb forevermore. My brother and sister, keep going. Keep going. One day, because of the grace of God, you will cross the finishing line.
Here are some questions for you to consider. Question 1. Can someone who is truly saved ever fall away? Give biblical examples to support your answer. Question 2. Explain the covenant of redemption. Question 3. What does the perseverance of the saints not depend upon? Question 4. Explain how the perseverance of the saints is a work of the triune God. Question 5. True or false? We enjoy the benefits of the covenant of grace by grace and we stay in by works. Explain your answer. And question six. The divines outline four ways a believer can fall into grievous sin. Name them and explain the repercussions of such action. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. (laughs) 